Hey Antoine, welcome to the RevOps Review. How are you today? Very good. How are you? Good, good. This is the first time we're actually meeting, so I'm super pleased that we were finally able to make this happen. Yeah, very excited to be here. Yeah, so you know, one thing that we've been talking about is, you know, you do, you're doing some great work at Cognizant, and there's not a lot of time to go build out a personal brand, um, and, and I totally respect that. So, you know, we were talking about earlier and you had this awesome intro. I'd love to read it out to the audience just in case anyone's not familiar with you and your work, if you don't mind. I'm going to give you a little bit of shine before we get into our interview. How's that sound? Sounds good. Cool. Uh, well, I'm joined by Antoine Cornette. He's been in sales operations for over six years. He started his career as a sales researcher. That's not a title you see a lot these days at a startup called Doodle. He realized he would do well if he focused on CRM administration and eventually moved into a more formal sales ops role. He moved to San Francisco, where he joined Mixpanel as a sales ops associate. He's now at Cognizant, where he was the first operations hire when they were sub 10 million in ARR. They've grown multiple folds since then. Now he's the head of RevOps, leading a team of 14. What an incredible feat. Appreciate you having you on. Thank you. Thank you for the intro. So one thing I like to talk about is you know, you came up through a job title that you're not going to see these days, sales researcher. What did that mean exactly when you took the role? And was it exactly what you thought it was once you were in the role for about 90 to 180 days? I, to be honest, it was my, my first role after university. So I didn't really have any, I didn't really have any expectation. I was just, you know, looking to, to land my first role and, and learn as much as possible. Uh, essentially, the, the role, it's an interesting structure because we kind of brought it to, to Cognizant, but in a mo much more structured way. So the, the, what the role was, was to ensure that our SDR team was being fed with enough accounts and had the right contact. Uh, and again, like that was back in 2017. So like, you know. There was no, there was no cognizant uh, at the time. Like, so we had to manually find contacts, verify their email address, uh, find accounts by scrubbing LinkedIn and, and so on. So all of it was, was very, very manual. Um, and I guess it, I'm kind of passionate about building process that can scale and like, you know, it doesn't really matter if you're work like supporting one person or 200 people like the, the process should scale like I, I think i already had that interest back then uh so you know i was like okay well instead of manually doing this why don't i you know look at any people that use the our product and move on to a new company and i, I can run a search like that or what about close lost opportunity what about what about this what about that and like you know i would be able to do things like a much larger scale uh, and eventually kind of like I realized I guess sales ops was was the right career for me at that point. So I sense a lot of curiosity and passion for problem solving. I often ask folks that I interview to join my team and I'm looking for a specific skill or behavioral trait which is reverse engineering. It's how does this work, right? If I were to take something, crack it open, I could see the inner workings of it and see if there's an opportunity to uh, to optimize it. The second thing is, you know, creation, right? Start off with a blank slate and start questioning, well, this is the way that the company has always done things. Does it have to continue being that way? Can we, you know, wipe the slate clean and start building from a bottom up? 
and hopefully the new thing is going to be better, faster, and stronger for the organization. Now, I think that's probably served you well when you were a CRM administrator, you were, you know, solo developing new skills. At what point when Cognizant gave you more license and more agency to develop the team, did you realize, oh, I'm, I'm now having to go out of my depth a little bit to gain some new skills. What were those first moments like as a, as a burgeoning leader? I think for, for me, my focus was when, when you're hiring at a certain level, like I would say probably like manager or above, uh, you want, you always want to hire someone who is going to be better than you at something like they need, they need to bring you that expertise. You, you don't want to be the, I guess like it's, it's a bit cliche, right? But you don't want to be the smartest person in the room. Uh, otherwise you're not, you're not learning. Uh, so like I always had that, that mindset when I, I was building the team and, you know, play like building, building pods essentially in, in RevOps was okay this this person is much better than me at project management or that person is much better than me at building like a salesforce architecture and then slowly but surely you can like, like focus on new areas namely like you know for, for me like my focus uh, between my beginning at cognizant and now has really shifted right the Probably I'd say the first year, year and a half, it was all about building, 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 right? Like let's build an infrastructure that can support, you know, we went from a sales org when I joined, maybe we were 30. Uh, now it's 200, 220. And we haven't really had to change that many processes. We haven't had to change how we do attribution, how we do lead routing. Like we, we've tweaked things, but like the pillars were there. Uh, and like that's so, like that was that was like and like making sure like you know CPQ was set up right that we had the right Salesforce automation so that we had data integrity in our system and so on. Uh, and once you've done that and then and then you've placed the right people in the right place, then you can focus on, I guess the, the next step right, which is moving RevOps from being seen as like a system admin, which I, I, I still think it's, it's like that in a lot of companies. It's like, oh, you're going to administer, administer Salesforce and outreach and let's implement another tool. And like, we don't really know what it does and we're not really measuring the impact of it to a more, I guess, strategic function where, you know, we actually have access to all that data and like understand it, seeing trends, forecasting making sure like we we're segmenting the market in the right in a way that makes sense for us rather than how everyone does it uh so yeah that's kind of yeah, in the journey that's awesome i always think that's the true test of whether you've scaled the business or not can your systems and your processes do they break when you grow the organization multiple fold because now you're having to onboard and train new individuals while also respecting the history of the organization with many of the folks that are there. I always think of a quote from uh, Rudyard Kipling, um, you know, for the strength of the pack is the wolf and the strength of the wolf is the pack. And what you want is a diverse set of team members in your pack, because if you have everyone with the same skill sets, well, you're actually adding some vulnerabilities into your organizations, even though you're adding a lot of capacity to a specific set of strengths. So that's super interesting. Yeah, you, I also think of the quote, 
you know, innovating at the uh, edge and scale the core. Well, you've already built those pillars at your core, and now all you're doing is tailoring around the edges. Now, before we started yeah. talking, you brought up two projects from last year, and I think they're really key. It's the end of summer. And so as we go in the fall, I think many organizations have already started their annual planning motion. And you've done something I think that most folks would be curious about, which is reconciling your top down and your bottoms up view of the business. Can you walk me through a little bit about, you know, the previous state, the current state, and maybe the future state of where you're going when it comes to annual planning? Yeah, so I think previous state, it was essentially, you know, a board and, and finance wanted the business to grow by X percent a year. We had a rough idea of how much we would, you know, what, what our net churn would be, and therefore this is how much new business we have to do. We would hire certain heads, and then, and then it kind of it, it worked. It worked for a while. Like Cognizant's been a been a big big success, so it kind of worked for us up to a certain point. Um. But then I guess the, the current state is like those sort of things start breaking when there's more and more complexity in the organization. We're no longer a single team based out of the UK where everyone has the same quota and, and that's it. And then we just add more marketing data, we hire more SDR, and then like that will fill in the gap. Um, you know, now, you know, uh, what we call RNG, like retention and growth, is like a massive part of our success because when you're in an early stage, even if your retention is not great, you can you can always make up for it in your business. We're, we're no longer at that stage where it's it's a possibility. So there needs to be a lot of of thought behind that and like making sure we have the right account to AM ratio, account to CSM ratio. We have the right processes for that. Um, and on the, on, the, on the new business side, we have to really think about, does it make sense to hire in this region versus the other region? Like even, you know, making sure like, we, for example, we can't keep hiring in a certain region indefinitely because like eventually, like we'll run out of like what we call our sales addressable market. There's, there's a limited amount of account where we, we would want to allocate outbound resources to go after those accounts. So there's a lot of like things to take into account that essentially is like, like there's the top, top down approach, which is what the finance and the board would do, which is like, ideally, ideally this is what we want the financial profile of the company to be by X date. And it's like, I guess that's where RevOps needs to step in and like, how do we make sure that happens? Right? Like, while the really understanding the sales cycle and the win rates and the ACV, and and then that, that kind of gives you like okay, this is the baseline of like all the KPIs I need to hit in order to have a successful um, fiscal year, and then I guess one one thing that I I, I don't know where, why I saw it right, but that, that really stuck with me, and it's it's something I try to like tell my team all the time, right. Once you have this baseline to hit your, your financial plan, it's about focusing on micro gains, right? Like if you improve seven areas of the funnel by 10%, you essentially double your output. So like you just need to, there's not one single thing that's going to massively benefit your entire funnel. Like 
you didn't think about it before. That, like in my opinion, that that just doesn't exist. You just have to keep finding those small the smallest gain that you can gain. Like how do you how do you convert your MQLs a little bit better? Like maybe you implement something like Chili Pipe or Lean Data. How do you increase your ACV? But maybe you you measure how many contacts you engage with per ops, and like you try to increase that a little bit. Maybe you leverage your partnership ecosystem, and like it's all it's is is like all those things like compounds eventually. Now I always think of the thought of you know you're moving from course to granular planning and execution. In fact, the devil is in the details. This is where having a revenue operating model can guide your decisions and your actions to those ultimate outcomes. You've also hit on a couple of interesting things there. I think in the last couple of years with COVID and then um, kind of the choppy inflation and inflationary environment that we're in today, businesses have had to play a different game. It's not acquisition at all costs. In fact, I would say expansion is the new new in many cases. You know, your customers, there's a, there's a belief that your current customers are the easiest way to the next dollar. And with Cognizant now at a multi, as a multi-dimensional organization, multi-region, multi-product, you have to really know your your money ball metrics, right? And I love the concept, but you've talked about micro gains, letting your funnel compound over itself. I appreciate that. Now, another project you talked about, which I would love to get into is, you know, you talked about segmentation and getting really granular. Um, I think it's, that's just not, you can't get to a point where you can throw a dart at the dartboard and you hit something. Now you're moving into these new markets. What is, what does that look like for Cognizant? What does that look like for your team? And how are you challenging them to really find those next areas of opportunity? Yeah. So I think for Cognizant, we've, we've changed our, our segmentation quite, quite a few times uh, over the, the last few years, which I think is quite common for high growth uh, startup. Um, I'm sure everyone experienced the same thing. Uh, essentially, when you're like at the very like early stages, it's like you don't even have a segmentation. You just have a team of AEs, and you will round robin everything, and that's that. And then it works for so it's, it works for a bit, and then generally at some point you realize you've you've gathered enough data, and you're like, wait a second, I actually understand which customers are churning and which ones are sticking with us. Well, like, why, why would I even want to bring the customers that are churning? Or at least, why would I voluntarily go after the one that would be churning? Maybe, maybe I'm comfortable signing those if they come to us, but like, I'm certainly not going to outbound those. Uh, but like, you, you, probably, you, can't, you can't do that straight away, right? Because you haven't defined your ICP. You need to gather data. You need to get product market fit. Um, so that's when you can really like bring in smart segmentation. Um, and for us, you know, a lot of companies from, from what I can see, a lot of it is just based on like total companies, company size, which I think, I think makes sense for, for a lot of product. For us, however, on the customer side, you know, there, there's a lot, a lot of other things that we need to take into consideration, right? Because we, we have small organizations that have high spend level, and like those ones, like we need to, we we need to like look like look after them with a with more detail and like more care. And then we have, you know, large large organization with like massive sales team, massive SDR team. 
but maybe they only bought five licenses initially for like a subdivision. And like, again, those ones need to be treated very differently because this is very much a land and expand play. So like you, you kind of need to like, it's not one size fit all. You need to like look at, for, for us, what we look at is how penetrated is the account? What's the total, how much are they currently spending with us? And what do we think is, I guess, the size of the price for, for that particular account? And based on all those factors, we'll assign them to different post-sales motion to different AM, different CSM. Uh, and obviously, like, the, the bigger the size of the prize, the less account uh, an AM would have. So they can be really focused on building relationship, making sure they're getting value. And then once we, when we've established value, we can grow the accounts. Now, it's interesting there because size of the prize, I love that term. It's actually quite catchy. I might have to use that myself. But I always use like a total addressable spend or kind of a wallet share metric. It's what is the optimal or projected spend that this company could theoretically spend with us. And so I'll give you an example there. Let's say there's a cloud company out there and they done some research, maybe with Forrester and Gartner, Forrester and Gartner is canvas thousands of companies, or maybe, maybe a couple of hundreds, a pretty decent sample size. And they say that, you know, of your revenue, maybe there's a three to 4% burden on it spending. And this company knows that within that category, you know, 25 to 40% of that spend would fall onto products that they would offer. So you're taking 3% of revenue times 40% of that wallet. And so you can do a back of the envelope math for, you know, a hundred million dollar company. What would that be? And that would yeah. be the total addressable wallet share that they could theoretically spend with us. Now they could single source it, meaning they could go only with us as we'll get a hundred percent wallet share or they've been, they're building a portfolio of secondary and tertiary sources. And we're one of three options. Hopefully there's a power law in that we grab most of it. Um, but so, so those, there, those belies, belies a little bit of the play that you could run. And it's interesting because some of that data you just don't have with even your traditional data vendors, for example. So you can get revenue, you can get industry, you might be able to get some other key metrics, but there's a, there's a point at which, the data just won't be found through a data source. You actually have to have a call and get to know the customer, the prospect. And that's where that qualification, that discovery call process takes place. And it fills in the gaps, which I always find hugely interesting. So for example, the small company with a large spend, I, I, I'm pretty sure no one has ever captured how much they're spending on specific tools. Um, you, you, you won't know that until you get a hold of, you know, the head of RevOps or the, the head of IT. And then you have these huge companies who I would say they're doing, they have a toe in the water, right? They're not jumping in, they just have a toe and someone's just trying it out. Maybe one person in one department previously used your tool and they're using it on their own with their, and they're probably paying for it out of their own pocket. I've seen that so many times. Um, so I always think it's interesting, you know, what's the play, you know, how did you communicate with your team? You know, there's differentiated set of plays. How do you keep track of all that? Do you work in partnership with your sales team? and then identify those different streams inside with your own ops team. I'm, I'm curious how you set that up. Yeah, so I, I think for us, it was initially setting up like ideal rate, like ratios, like for a book of business, like we have different name for a segment, but like the, for example, our biggest segment, which is high spend, 
high big companies so like they could spend even more uh, an account manager would only look after 30 of those accounts because like we 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 genuinely believe we can as a whole for the whole book we can double that that spend uh, over a certain amount of time so like it was it was all about defining those ratios initially and then and then it's about providing the right visibility to and having the right playbooks for for each of those teams right um, for lower spend smaller customer it's 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 a retained play where you know they, they will have a lot more of accounts and it's making sure that from the get-go they get onboarded well get value and then and then we renew them and then any upset that we get is it's almost an organic I've hired an, an additional sales reps and you know I'm, I'm already getting value out of your product so I'm gonna set them up right, you, you, you do get a lot of almost yeah it's almost like inbound but for for, for customers and um, and then for for the one that like focus on more proactive upsell it's a, it's about providing the right visibility so you know how many licenses did we sell versus how big is is the sales team okay well that's 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 the, the delta is what you should go after and like out of you know your accounts where you know for us the persona that we are, we'll, we speak with are you know sales leaders marketing leader revops leader you know we, we we've set targets and benchmark in terms of on average on a on a rolling 30-day basis how many people do you need to speak to like you know, we we came from initially like two years ago being extremely single-threaded, and slowly but surely we've developed that culture of like we need to be as multi-threaded as possible, and that's still something we're trying to improve on. Um, you know, you can't just rely on hey, the head of sales really like cognizant. I'm just going to speak to that person because eventually the head of sales is going to leave the organization, and if that's their only champion, that's a massive churn risk. You almost have to do the sale again at renewal, which is not a position you want to be in, right? I think that makes sense. They say the average tenure of a chief revenue officer is 18 months and that a revenue operator yeah. is almost just as close to 18 months, probably about 16, 17 months. So if you're only building one champion, you actually have a single point of failure in that relationship. And multi-threading is such a great way to track that. Now, I think it's interesting. You talked about external, building out segmentation, building out your personas, and then internally, you're building out your capacity models. You know your ratios of headcount, and then you also know your ratios of accounts and book of business to specific individuals. How do you stress test that you got those ratios right? Because if you get it wrong, you have pretty low engagement stats from your team when you do your 360-degree surveys. Mm -hmm. How do you know that you're doing well along, that, along those ratios that you've set? Yeah, I think definitely. Well, like uh, something I, I've I've learned right through trial and error, we could have probably got a better score. Is I'd say you probably want to start by having, especially when you're like testing it, you you want to have like smaller ratio initially, uh, even though that will cost you a bit more. Like because again, GDR and NDR like. In, the, in this day and age, it's almost like that's, that's the single most important metric. Um, but yeah, well, I mean, you, you, can, you can measure it by, you know, if, if you lower or increase a ratio, 
what does that do to your MDR and your GDR a quarter from now, two quarters from now? And then you have like leading indicators, which is, you know, we, we've set up quite a lot of reporting around, you know, again, your engagement, does your in average engagement on the account like drops over time? Like that's a, that's a leading indicator that maybe the ratios are wrong. Um, another one, which is like, do we have an increase amount of at-risk cases or, you know, we also disposition renewal opportunities three months from now so we can see that, okay, well, actually there's an increase in renewal opportunity three months from now that are like at risk. So like it's, it's a combination of leading indicator and lagging indicator and like you can, you can tweak the model. That's amazing. Now with that. For the folks at home who don't know what GDR, NDR, that's gross dollar retention, that's net dollar retention. By the time those metrics are off track, you've already lost the game. So you're really looking at the leading indicators to make sure that you head that off. Um, so I always ask for every guest who comes in to, you know, if you were to be able to travel back in time and meet your younger self before you came, became a sales researcher, you know, what advice would you give your younger self? Just be a sponge learn the the first few years of your career it's really all about building a solid set of skills uh you know like technical set of skills and once once you've owned those skills then then you can move on to like doing more strategic work but like that will be very difficult if you don't have a good understanding of how database works and how Salesforce can integrate with XYZ tools. So like, I think it, it's a good place to start and then like move, move up from there. That's awesome. So for those uh, who want to connect with you, learn more about you, how can they connect with you? On, on LinkedIn, uh, they can, they can be on LinkedIn. I'm always happy to, to give some advice and uh, connect with the, anyone who is interested in RevOps. Awesome. Sounds good. Thanks again for joining the RevOps review. Thank you very much for having me.